Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. And welcome into The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is Jesse Temple. Well, the Badgers moved to 2-1 and one with a win over McNeese State. They beat them 83-63. We also saw them beat Eastern Illinois last Friday. Wisconsin, it was not, uh, neither game was pretty, uh, especially there in the first half against McNeese State. It was 37-34. Wisconsin actually trailed 10-2 coming out of the break, but they get uh, the route that they uh, probably were expecting coming in. They did it without uh, two starters. Obviously, Micah Potter sitting out due to eligibility issues and Kobe King out with an ankle injury. So you had those two things, and yet they were able to get it done largely because of Brad Davison and Aleem Ford and Walt frickin' McGorry. Jesse, that was ins- I mean, the guy had 11 points in his first two years combined. He had nine against the Cowboys. I would like to be Walt McGrory's hype man. I will <laughs> buy all the stock in Walt McGrory that I can. I thought he was fantastic. And it really speaks to being ready when your opportunity is called because they got down the depth chart. They didn't have Kobe. And Walt was a spark. His, his first three from the corner, he buries it, which they really desperately needed because they – we're not very good in the first half shooting from three, which is a pattern we've seen emerge here in the first. Were they three of eighteen three games? Um, they, should, they put up yeah, a ton. I think it was like three of eighteen. Yeah, they were three for thirteen in three the first 13, half. Excuse me, um, and we'll get to the I was, second half. I was in thinking a three of eighteen because that's what they went against Eastern Illinois over the entire game. I think it's hard to keep track, but so kudos to Walt. I thought he earned himself more minutes, which is why he was able to play in the second half. I don't know whether that's going to make a substantial difference once Kobe comes back, but I think it's good to know at least that if you have to go down your depth chart a little bit there, you can use Walt. And Greg Gard said that we're you know and. How much would he have said this had Walt gone out there and played horribly? But he said, you know, we saw this in practice. This is the same thing that he was doing in practice. And we knew that even with Kobe, uh, even if Kobe was healthy, even if Kobe wasn't injured, we needed to find a way to get Walt on the floor. And, you know, the last time that he saw significant minutes was two years ago in December when they were down Dimitrik and Kobe. And he ended up playing a bunch late in that year. And, you know, I want to. He's. I think he's a different player. Obviously, he's a junior. And he's not a true freshman. A true freshman walk-on. He's a junior, and he's seen a lot of things and gone through a lot of things. And Brad said that he plays as the top player on the opposing team and on scout all the time. So they've. He's lit them up at times on that side. So he's grown significantly. I think since obviously we last saw him in a true impact role. He's also a guy who scored over two thousand oh. points in high school, and I think when you get to that level, no matter what classification it is at high school, you know how to put the ball in the basket. There's a certain level of confidence that comes with that. And while it may not translate immediately at the college level, I think that comes out eventually. Yeah. So he was obviously a a big story in the first half. The other story, I think, was Shamarcus Kennedy, who was pretty much unstoppable for Wisconsin. (laughs) I mean, uh, only a 6'8 post, but he... Got Nate in foul trouble, got a Liam in foul trouble, and and I what did he end up with? He ended up with twenty points. I think he had sixteen in the first half. It was seventeen in the first half. He was unstoppable. Wisconsin changed some things in the second half, but that has to be a concern, doesn't it? I thought it was interesting that the first three possessions, McNeese State went right at Reavers, then they scored inside all three times. You're yeah. starting to think, oh, <laughs> what what's going on? Is this going to be one of those upset games that you didn't see coming? Obviously, Wisconsin was able to figure some things out, but you're right. Nate got in foul trouble. It drastically impacted the lineups. I wrote down some of the lineups they had going at, at various portions of the game, and it's like 
before the season, would you ever have envisioned these guys on the floor? Like Tyler Wall was your five man in some instances. You had four guards on the floor and then Tyler because you just didn't have a lot of depth. And they certainly tried to use Joe Hedstrom a little bit, but it, Very it little was, bit. yes, it was, it was interesting. Uh, but look, it's early in the season. Wisconsin was able to figure some things out. I think that second half could be really important moving forward. It could be because they found their shot. And I don't know if the looks improved significantly. I didn't think they did. I thought they had wide open looks last Friday night against Eastern Illinois. I thought they had wide open looks in the first half against McNeese State. They just didn't go down. And but and I know the word momentum, uh, some people believe there is such a thing as momentum. Some people don't. But it felt like once one guy hit a shot, especially in the second half, everyone else kind of got rolling at the same time. And they hit first seven out of eight from from three. And it was all Davison, Trice, Pretzel, and Ford. All those guys hit their their shots from three. Not all of them, obviously. They I think they missed their final. Uh, what was it? I think they missed their final seven. But the open to the second half has to be encouraging after what we had seen the first five halves. <laughs> this team started the game against McNeese State with five straight misses from three. It was Davison, Trice. Six straight misses. Davison, Trice, Pritzel, Trice, Reverse, Trice, and then Davison finally hit a three from the left corner. Even now, you look at the numbers, they're shooting under 28% from three, but it's really confounding to me because they have so many guys that you think should be able to shoot better that certainly did shoot better at least into February last season. I think it's going to come around because these guys, at least in my mind, are too good of shooters, and those looks, like you said, they didn't change in my mind. They were wide open in the first half. They just didn't go in. Yeah. I'll say this. There were a couple of looks that were tough looks even in the second half from Malim Ford that went down. Like, he had guys in his face. He is, and and again, it's three games, and he's kind of been up and up and down, as the team has been. But the confidence that he seems to be playing with is just a little bit different. Very quietly, I think, wound up with a career high. <laughs> he had yeah. 16 oh. points. Like I, after, I, after sitting for a large majority of the first half, yeah, for him to come back and play the way he did. And I think... To me, what is most telling about his transformation as a player is if you look at what he did against McNeese State, of those 16 points, 2 for 4 from 3, 7 for 11 from the field overall. That means he was 5 for 7 on two-pointers. I don't know if there was a game before this where you could say he took more two-point attempts than he did three-point attempts because he's the type of player that he was. He would just kind of hover around the three-point line, and even though he was 6'8", he wasn't someone who wanted to play down low. But physically, he's changed his game, and mentally, I think he's got much more confidence, which you're very clearly seeing now. Yeah, that's a good point. Probably have to go back and look because you're probably right. That may be one of the first times that's ever happened because there was. I don't think there was a game last year where he took more shots from two than he did from three. They weren't always right around the basket, though, last night. There were a couple of long uh, mid-range jumpers, um, which is you just don't see very often in college basketball anymore. And, and I think Davison had had one or two as well. What do they, they call that the most ineffective or the most inefficient shot? Oh, it's the worst shot in basketball. Yeah. The worst shot in basketball is when you have your foot on the three-point line. The Bronson like, what are you Koenig. doing? Either Bron- get behind the line yeah. or go to the rim. It's the Bronson Koenig, at least from like his early days, because like the high school line, and then you're taking a step back. It seemed like every single one of his shots from the top of the key had a, had a foot on the line. He turned out to be just okay shooting from uh, a few uh, a few inches back, being the all-time leading three-point shooter in Wisconsin history. But I felt like he had at the beginning of his career, that was kind of what he did. But yeah, no, Aleem was good. Brad, I don't feel like he forced a ton. Like usually, you'll see him run to the to the basket and throw something up at times. You know, when when things aren't going well offensively, and I don't think he did that. 
Well, they went seven for eight from the field, right, and right, he was seven it, for seven from the line, so he was extremely efficient. Right, right, but I don't think it was like a lot of forced at the rim type of stuff. Now, I'll say this. How many times does he travel when he, like when he's going to the rim, he'll stop, he'll put his, like it feels like that's like almost a travel every single time. I don't think he only got called for it once. People think he's going all the way to the hole. He puts it on, on the brakes, and he's either passing or he's going up with a fadeaway, and it, it looked good last night, obviously, when it was going in, but he shot well from the outside, too. Was he three or four from, from three? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so he did, he kept them in the, him and Walt McGrory kept them in the game in the first half when they were not shooting the ball well, and McNeese State was was getting a lot of what they wanted down low, but, um, you know, it's 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 a solid, I mean, it's it, McNeese State isn't very good. Uh, and save for that ten to two start, I mean Wisconsin outscored them. What? Well, my math wouldn't be very good. but no, it would be eighty-one to fifty-three the rest of yeah, the way. Yeah. So, and they I mean their first lead didn't come until there were six minutes left in the first half. Yeah, that was pretty wild, unexpected. But between those two wins, did we learn anything about them from from the Eastern Illinois game and and this one? Or is well, it tough? That it, it or did it we learn tough. more about the team from the St. Mary's game? I, I mean, St. Mary's, Mary's lost, of course. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. We've learned something from each of those games, but what we've learned. I mean, the, the Eastern Illinois game was very nearly a a debacle. It's like yeah. a one possession game late and late, and then Wisconsin goes on this big run and and pulls away and wins. And I, I think it's Wisconsin trying to figure itself out as a team. That might sound super cliche, but you got guys in lineups that just certainly hadn't played together before. Obviously, Tyler Wall wasn't even in the program before this year, and I mentioned. You know, Nate Reavers got his second foul with six minutes and 50 seconds left to go in the in the first half. And their lineup was Aleem Ford and Tyler Wall in the front court, Trevor Anderson, Walt McGorry, Brad Davison in the back court. How many times has that lineup happened? Probably not too often. I can't imagine it has. But Wisconsin was able to figure some things out. And that wasn't the only time they went with an unusual lineup. And, and so they needed these two wins, obviously, because big-time rivalry game coming up. All right, time to play a little sold or not sold. Uh, we'll start with this. And we were talking about in the last segment about foul trouble for Aleem and foul trouble for Nate. Wisconsin's front court depth is its biggest concern right now. Sold, 100%. Until Michael Potter gets back, which presumably will be December 21st. Maybe he'll be allowed that telephonic hearing at some point, even though he's it's, it's been granted, and yet here we are in the middle of November, five was, weeks from the deadline when he can come back. It's just yeah. nonsense. There was no totally update. ridiculous. No update, uh, by the way, from Greg Gardle uh, after the game last night. So until they get him back, yes, it has to be the biggest concern because you've got Nate Reavers, you've got Aleem, and then what what do you really have? I mean, Tyler Wall, but he's not a he's not a five man. You know, they can put him at the five. We've talked about his versatility that makes right. him unique. But you don't have a rim protector per se. No. And and at this point with Joe Hedstrom, he's still a bit of a project we've seen, and they put him in there. Um, you know, it's a substantial drop off after Nate goes out. So yeah. That's the biggest concern, no doubt about it. Yeah. You look at Tyler, though, I will say this. His ability to switch on everything, and yep. it's just insane. And when they do go with Aleem and they do go with Tyler in the front court, their ability to switch, they can switch all – like every every guy, they can – those two guys, I feel like, can play almost – match up against almost anybody. It uh, goes back to Greg's favorite saying of positionless basketball, but it is true, and I, I think that that does speak to the versatility, and it's why you can have a lineup where Tyler is your five-man and you've got four guards on there that he can play against everybody, and I know I've talked about it before, but what he did in high school, yeah. guard the point guard, guard the five-man from one game to another. Right, and with him, and someone mentioned that they uh, he reminded them of John Luer, and I think... He's more athletic, at least right now. He's more smooth and, and can play 
and can guard almost any spot. John, at least early in his career, was not that guy, and I'm not sure he ever really was that guy at six eleven. He was more, he was more one dimensional, I think, in that respect. Tyler can do pretty much anything, and it wasn't, it wasn't a stat stuffing game, but he did. I mean, you know, stat stuffing like where he had like six of everything. He didn't, he didn't do that, but. It was still pretty nice. It was still pretty good. And I think this is what he's going to give you this year. Now, he played 26 minutes. I, I don't know that that's going to be the case, particularly when Micah comes back, although he's going to play a substantial amount. You look at what he was able to do. He had three points. He had three assists, three rebounds, two steals. So he does a little bit of everything. And in the box score now, they provide you with a plus minus. So what what did the team do when you were on the floor he had the highest plus minus on the team, plus 23, and Brad Davison was second at plus 20. So I think that gives you an indication of how much they're able to impact the game when they're on the floor. We didn't talk about it, but the second half def- defensive effort, I think they finished with 30 points off of turnovers. McNeese State's not great. <laughs> you know, when they turned the ball over, it seemed like they turned the ball over time they started trying to dribble uh, in the second half, but that was, I think that was encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. I. They really clamped down defensively, and they needed to because it was a one-possession game at halftime. And and you're right. I, I was noticing that, too. Every time they tried to drive past the three-point line, somebody would pop in and poke the ball away, and Wisconsin would wind up with a fast break, and obviously the Badgers were able to convert. We know they're not going to be an up-tempo team ever, but they're going to take advantage of those types of opportunities, and they certainly were able to because, as you said, 30 points off turnovers. McNeese State, two points off turnovers. <laughs> yeah, I think Wisconsin finished with eight turnovers, which – I feel like a majority of those came at least early in the game. Um, sold or not sold, I expect the Badgers to shoot like they did in the second half more often than, than how they shot in the first five halves of the season. Yes, I was going to say, even though five of these six halves we've seen so far would indicate otherwise, <laughs> I am I am sold. Ultimately, they cooled off. They missed the last seven three-pointers, but seven for 15 amounts to 46.7%. And I just think they have too many guys capable of making shots, especially when they're as open as they were. For them to continue to shoot 28% from three throughout this season, I I, I do feel like we're going to look back and say that was more of an anomaly um, because they just the, the pure volume of shooters that they have is tough to ignore. I think the only concern would be they're not going to get those open looks against everybody. That is correct. And so if you're not hitting them when you're getting the open looks, and they did in the second half, obviously, if you're not hitting, you're expecting these guys to hit them when they got people in their face? No, I, obviously that's a good point, and that kind of changes the game a little bit, but they have good enough ball movement and spacing, I think, with the the types of players they have on the floor now that they're able to get good shots, and in my mind, if you have to, if there's still time on the shot clock and you have to, to force a shot because there's a defender in your face and you're not taking the right three-pointer. Right. Again, I think we'll see, especially without Kobe on the floor, you don't necessarily have a guy that can break people down and get to the rim. Uh, late in a shot clock, right? And how often is he going to have the ball in his hands in that situation? Probably not too often, right? I mean, I that w- we saw that at the end of the St. Mary's game is you don't you didn't have that guy that could get to the rim late. And I know whether you like it or not, I mean, whether I like it or not, the shot that Lean Ford could have had had he been ready to shoot right when the ball came his way, probably not a horrible shot. But um, you would like, and I don't, I'm not sure they have him, um, but. A, a guy that can get there late and get to the get to the rack late in a shot clock, and I'm not sure that they're going to give Kobe that opportunity because he's not your point. But I guess we'll see as the, as the season goes on, and he maybe he proves to Greg that he can be that guy, and uh, maybe they'll do pick and roll with him at the top. But we'll see. Um, Walt McGrory will be in the rotation this year. I'm not sold if Kobe is healthy because I just don't think there's enough minutes to go around in the guard rotation because they're. Trevor Anderson is 
clearly in that rotation as a as a backup point guard, as a guy who can take some charges. You know, he's not going to fill the stat sheet. I do think that's one thing that Walt is capable of doing, as we saw. You know, he gets a few open looks, he's capable of hitting them, and it certainly gives Greg Gard another thing to consider. But how many guards can you play? You're you're obviously starting when Kobe is healthy. Kobe, Dimitrik, Brad, Brevin, and Trevor are your next two guys, and Walt McGurry is your sixth guard. Walt McGurry came off the bench before Trevor Anderson did last night. Well, then maybe he's your fifth guard. <laughs> no, I'm, I, Trevor is still working his way back. Obviously, yeah. he's not a hundred percent though. I think he and he tries so hard. Like you can, mm-hmm. you can see the effort, especially when guys are trying to drive in on him. That's it's it's laborious isn't a word, but um, laborious. I think what, that's a word. Yeah, I, but I'm just mispronouncing it. Um, it it just felt so. Put, there's so much effort going into it, and like he doesn't have anything else he can give. Um, so you just you you don't don't know if that's going to hold up. Yeah, against better competition. But if if Walt can give you like four points in a five minute spurt or something, that's that's tough to say. Stay on the bench. Yeah. So if he can provide you something that the other guys aren't, certainly something to consider. I don't what know. What do you think? You think I, I Walt think can crack I, the rotation? I don't. Like yeah. I I don't think it's going to be something that consistent unless unless Trevor shows that he can't do it. Like if he's not if he can't be out there every time because I mean. Everything go as I said before. So much goes into everything that he has to do, and he, he as soon as he leaves the bench or as soon as he leaves the game, he's on a on a bike, right in a bike. Like you can just tell that he, it's just not all the way there, and maybe it won't all. Maybe it won't be there at any point this year. Played less than thirteen minutes, led the team in assists, four assists, no turnovers. That's he's my a great favorite stat. Uh, he was great in limited action last year. Maybe great's a little bit over the top, but we talked about it last week. I thought if he had not gotten hurt maybe the legs of brad davison maybe the legs of Demetri trice don't get run down nearly as much as they did and maybe the shooting looks a little bit better in march than it did i guess it, that's irrelevant at this point but you want to be able to have him you want and maybe walt can be that guy too to make sure that those guys legs are good by the time march rolls around so that you're not fading you're getting better and you're not fading like they did last year sold or not sold wisconsin will be a better defensive team this year than offensive Sold. I feel like it's most early. years you can. I feel like most years you can say that. I, I mean, I think they're going to get better offensively, but I also think they're going to be better defensively. And that I know that's been Greg's biggest not concern. But when you ask him about, oh, how do you replace all these points and production that Ethan Happ and Khalil Iverson had, he said, well, what about defensively? Because those guys were so good defensively, which we've talked about extensively. So I, I, I still think this team's going to figure it out and wind up being a, a better defensive team. Not a whole lot of information to go through, like Kempom, but the offense, I believe, is currently ranked 79th uh, adjusted, or 76th adjusted, and the defense is 32nd. There you have it. So, Thank you for proving my point, so, that I was meandering and wasn't sure where I was going. Yeah, more. To, but you're right, I, and Greg mentioned it, the fact of losing Ethan and losing Khalil to your better defenders, probably your two best defenders, um, it's going to be a little bit to overcome, and yet... When they got on their roll against uh, McNeese State, it was built on what they did defensively and got them going offensively. And I know that's such a cliche, and we work the ball inside out. That's how the offense gets started. Like th- I mean, those are the things you say when your offense starts doing well. Is yeah, we did the things that we were supposed to do, touching the post, getting it back out, you know, all that stuff. But I think they are a, a better defensive team right now. I think they can be a good offensive team. I think the shooters that they have, and I know people are like probably screaming at their iPhones or their radio or whatever it is at this point, but 
they do have good shooters. They can shoot the ball, notwithstanding what happened in the first five halves of this season, notwithstanding what happened in the at the uh, end of last year. They have guys that can shoot shots, that can shoot the ball and hit shots from the outside. I think I don't have any doubt in that whatsoever, and they just need to continue to do what they did in the second half. All right, uh, Wisconsin will take on Marquette on Sunday. Marquette uh, got by Purdue last night. Actually, a pretty, I guess, impressive win. They were down 13 at the half, held Purdue to just 17 uh, points in the second half and won 65-55. Didn't do, they did not shoot the ball very well overall, and neither did Purdue. But uh, right now, in your mind, Marquette, Wisconsin, who's the better team? Probably Marquette right now. Um, they certainly have the best player, and he's going to shoot the ball 25 times, Marcus <laughs> Howard, uh, averaging 28 points a game. And, uh, you know, they've got a lot of guys that we've seen before. They don't have the Hauser brothers, though. So I, th- it's going to be exciting. It's always fun when these teams play. But to me, at least, I think Marquette's a little bit better. I was genuinely surprised that they trailed Purdue as much as they did. At and then even no more surprised when you look at the final score and it was like, wow, it was were they ever trailing? Because they came back, stormed back, and, and beat Purdue. And so, you know, that that's kind of my opinion. I think Marquette's a better team. Yeah. Uh, the guy that stood out, at least yesterday, uh, against uh, Purdue, was Kobe McEwen, the uh, transfer from Utah State, uh, 6'4 guard, actually uh, from Canada. But he lit it up at, uh, at Utah State, and he had a, a really nice game uh, against Purdue, you know, with 23 points. He, was, he led them in scoring. And uh, got to the free throw line nine times, but uh, th- the focus is Marcus Howard. And so, who guards Marcus Howard, and who goes? And I, I, I assume it's Dimitrik. Point guard on point guard, I, I would think so too. But maybe they, it's a. I almost think it's got to be a by committee thing. Like every few minutes, well, you got to put someone because he will wear you out. He will. But like, I think Trice, at least in the second half against St. Mary's, he he was great against Ford in the second half at least like the last 16 minutes plus overtime, Ford only had, I think, two points. So he did a good job against him, and they're not similar players in that respect, but they're high-scoring guards, and he's not going to be overwhelmed physically by Marcus Howard. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a guy that's not going to overwhelm you physically. And uh, so I think that's, that's probably Dimitrik, and then Brad would guard uh, McEwen. But really, I think it comes down to Nate Reavers and him being the guy we saw against St. Mary's who's willing to – to fight down low and because he's going to have a couple of guys going at him. Theo John is obviously a veteran. Nate has to be on the floor one and Nate has to play with some fire and some intensity and play that type of, of basketball if they're going to have a shot because I, I think they I think Marquette is the better team. Yeah I think this is one of those games where if you start to drop down a depth chart and you don't have enough front court bodies it could be trouble. I mean Theo John's averaging eight and a half rebounds a game and so he'll, he's obviously going to battle inside and, and Nate you're right he has to play the way Ethan Hat played last year in this Marquette game, Ethan was fan- fantastic. He just had no help, and that game still wound up going to overtime. Marquette won that one, but that's a matchup to watch clearly. And the thing about Marquette is they are not big either. Like, right. they, like I think John's their biggest guy, so it's not like they would be overwhelmed like with a whole bunch of big bodies. But he's physical, mm-hmm. like big body down low that could that could give problems to Aleem if he had to guard him. Um, you know. Nate has to stay on the floor. Nate, ha- I mean, that, I think that to me is the most paramount thing of anything they do. Nate has to stay on the floor, and you need to obviously make Marcus Howard work for everything that he gets. And we'll see if Wisconsin's able to do that. I, I don't know. Um, Wisconsin just one and three against Marquette. I think over the last four years, so um, they've been the better. I think they've been the better team. Um, 
certainly last year they were, and um, over the entire season that that proved to be the well. They, they both they, lost at actually, the exact same I was, I was time to, last I was year. To, I was about to say they faded just like kind of Wisconsin did it there at the end of the year as well. So I, I guess they were better when they played. And uh, sticking on that though, better future. Who's got the better future, Wisconsin or Marquette? You think? Well. It's hard for me to go against Wisconsin based on the recruiting class they have compiled and the one they've got going in 2021. I know that the rankings are where they are in part because Wisconsin just signed five players and some of these other programs didn't have that many scholarships available. But they're number eight in the in the ESPN rankings. It's the highest Wisconsin's ever been in the online ranking era, which goes back about 15 years or so. And they're number 10 in the 24-7 sports composite. And I think they... Greg Gard, this is a good time to talk about this because the signing day just happened, so they've they've inked these five players. That's why I asked about it. <laughs> you've got you got the Davis brothers, which I think were huge because there's a faction of the fan base that always says, Why can't you get in state talent? Why can't you keep it? We could go on for days about why it's so difficult because basketball is just such a different animal from football, especially when you're dealing with five star recruits and uh, players that can go to Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas, all those. But you know, they they got positions of need. They got Lauren Bowman, the point guard, who they've had committed forever. He was their first commitment. Yeah, last November. And then they got two guys in the front court, uh, in Crowell and Carlson. Carlson is a four-star prospect. So I think Wisconsin really did some good things on the recruiting trail. The coaches deserve a lot of credit. They do. And Marquette has a couple of guys signed as well. Sar, uh, Sasser, Yadaro? I mean, like that. That's that's. I feel horrible about that. But <laughs> will you edit that attempt out? I, I probably won't. Uh, I'll just I'll own it. Igudaro from out out of Arizona, and then also Justin Lewis. Can you could you have two different like uh, difficulty in names? I mean, you get the one, you got one, and you got Justin Lewis. I'll go with Justin Lewis. A uh, couple of nice four star kids. They don't have any commits in twenty twenty one yet. Wisconsin has three commits in twenty twenty one. Matthew Moore's out of South Dakota. Uh, Chucky Hepburn from uh, Nebraska, and then Chris Hodges out of Illinois. And that class. Obviously, it's because nobody else has anybody signed, I think, or not signed, but uh, not a whole lot of people have commits in the 2021 class, but that is currently ranked number one in the country. Number one, baby. Can't take it away from them. So that's eight guys that you have committed in the next two classes. To, yeah. go, along, to go along with Tyler Wall um, and to go along with, um, you know, when these, guys are, when these guys are freshmen, these 2021 kids, Kobe will be a senior. Is that right? I believe that's correct. Yeah. So it's those that looks that to me looks like a pretty darn good group of kids that you have so far, and they're going to probably have an opportunity to add uh, one more in the twenty one class. And I I think of the classes that Greg has been able to put together, twenty twenty has the potential to be the best one. Right now, it's pretty obvious you'd say the best one is twenty seventeen. They got Brad Davison, Nate Reavers, Kobe King. That's pretty darn good. They're all key contributors. We don't know what the future holds for these five coming in in twenty twenty, but it, it certainly seems like it has the potential to be really good and I just think they deserve a lot of credit because they were able to identify guys early enough get on them and stay on them and I think that makes a big difference and find guys as cliche as it sounds that are the right fit that want to be a part of Wisconsin's program if you spend all your time recruiting the five-star guys that you're probably not going to get that takes away from the opportunity to get some of these players and these are really, I mean, four stars are all three guys in the 2021 class considered four star prospects. They are. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're all, they're all top 150 kids, at least right now, according to the 24 seven composite. Uh, I know the Badgers used ESPN to highlight the 2020 class. I think largely because it's 
that has them where it's the highest rated. Uh, 24-7, I think, has them 10th in the country. Not much, not much difference, but what they've done, especially considering the ranker over Greg Gard's recruiting and the Jalen Johnson and the Tyler Hero and like all that stuff and all that vitriol going towards Greg Gard, the inability to recruit, for him to jump back and get these two these two classes and obviously they're not signed yet the 2021 class not signed yet but it you have to give him credit for just putting all that noise and everything like that it feels like he had i don't know you think he had some fire on the recruiting trail after what uh, people are saying i don't i don't think he listens to it a ton but i feel like maybe there's a little bit there if you're compe- if you're a competitor there's probably something natural there but i i think he had a plan of attack and he stuck to that plan right because these guys that they've been recruiting they just didn't start recruiting them no. last year. You know what I mean? They put like in Matthew, years on these guys. Yeah, like Matthew Moore's been on their radar forever. You know what I mean? Like, and he's and he still won't be here for another two years. So, it's they've been they've been around. I think about t- Tyler Wall, for example. I mean, I remember talking to Tyler's mom right around the time he committed to Wisconsin, and you know, the question is why? Why Wisconsin? He's got a lot of other opportunities. Joe Krabinoff was at a tournament in Las Vegas when Tyler was 15 years old. So. You know, I think it's important to understand how much time and effort these coaches are putting into these prospects. And I also think it's not like football where you've got a board of who knows how many, 50, 100 players you're trying to sign maybe 20, 25. You get five guys, which is a huge class. And so you're focusing on only a select few. You put everything you have into them. I think it speaks volumes about what the staff's been able to do. What do you think it says about the staff that they were able to do this, especially these last few months, and not having Howard there? Yeah. And obviously, Alondo has been a part of that, but for Joe Krabenhoff and for Dean Oliver, I think it's remarkable. Yeah, it's it's almost unbelievable, really, the way they've been able to rally as a team, which certainly has been talked about and written about quite a bit. But for the coaching staff to come together and hit the recruiting trail as hard as they did and get these players, it it speaks to how much they believe in themselves and their vision for this program, what they see in these players, and also how much these players want to be a part of that culture. You know, you can't overstate the importance of that either because when you make this commitment, you're going to spend the next four or five years of your life a part of this program. Right, and Greg said that about official visits. We don't hide people. We don't hide We don't hide our players from anybody. They come in and they talk to everybody. We tell the parents to come in, pop the hood, kick the tires, do everything like that, ask every question that you've got. We're not, we're not hiding from anything. You can ask us anything. We'll tell you what is what. We're not gonna we're not gonna lie to you and to and to get you to come here. You're gonna make that decision based on what you see and what you hear from us. It's gonna be genuine, and I think that's probably not necessarily um, always the case in a lot of places. And I, I would say I know this is a basketball podcast, but it's the exact same thing in football. When I talk to recruits and families and coaches, one of the things that they often say, like if you're an offensive lineman and your prospect come to visit here. They always make time. That prospect meets with the offensive lineman. Everybody else leaves the room, and that kid can ask whatever he wants. There, there are no secrets, and I do think that is tremendously important for a program like Wisconsin because these players need to see what's real, and I think ultimately that can make a huge difference on the recruiting trail against other programs that may operate a little differently. Yeah. Uh, of these eight guys between the 2020 and 2021 class, which one do you think has the highest upside? That's really hard for me to answer. The one I want to see the most, though, is um, Johnny Davis. Yeah. Just because he's kind of like that in-state name that you've heard about for a long time, and we know that he's good, but how good can he be? You know, I, I so, and also I, I'm a guard. I played guard. Like, I'm more interested in seeing what those guys <laughs> do. It's harder for me to say who has the highest upside. Yeah. You got a lot of four-star players. Right. 
but we know that doesn't really mean anything when sure. you get here. Oh, I yeah. just I just am really interested to see what what Johnny Davis can do. Time to uh, get into your Twitter questions. Uh, we'll start with this. This is based off of last year a little bit uh, because we had a listener, Wisco Inferno, bet you that Wisconsin would be a top three seed in I believe, the tournament. I believe that was correct in the tournament last year, and you said no uh, that they would not be. And at one point last year, it looked like they were going to be. They ended up as a five seed. So he's asking. He he says he believes he owes Jesse a bar tab at Dottie's. It's not going to be Madison in the foreseeable future. How do you get Jesse the check? Uh, I will or the funds, I should say. I will not accept your money. Uh, just the fact that we're bringing this up and going back to mention that I was right <laughs> is reward enough for me. TJ asks, how many minutes will Walt McGrory see against Marquette? I think he might play. <laughs> I mean, I, first, of all, I think, digits. first of all, I think Kobe plays. I think yeah. um, Jim Polzine said he would be shocked. Uh, Send a tweet out. He'd be shocked if Kobe didn't play. Based on simply that they're not being a uh, any kind of a, a boot on his foot, nothing. You know, Wisconsin's famous for their boots, and uh, he did not have one on. So, I mean, that that has to be at least a, a somewhat good sign that he'll be available for Saturday. But four minutes. You're going to go with four minutes over yeah. under over under four minutes. Mm. Over over all right. four and a half, maybe four oh two. Um, all right, then uh, TM Fitzpatrick asks, should Demetri Trice just sit down? Seemed like guard thought so. No? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm not laughing at the question. I, I just, I understand the frustration there. First half, he looked out of it, right? I mean, he, he didn't look, he didn't look great. Came back in the second half and he played much better. He, so. had, he had a couple threes back to back, which sparked this team. He hit them early in the second half. and. Yeah. We know he's capable of it. It's just a matter of the consistency. Is he their best shooter? No. Who do you think? I is? don't think so. I, uh, I, I, I'd go Pritzel. Just, I, I know. I, uh, in-game shooter, I think we should probably uh, qualify that as because Brevin Pritzel is the best practice shooter I've ever seen, and people hate when I say that because they just get annoyed because why doesn't it always transfer over to the game? But Brevin is, yes, Brevin's by far the best shooter on the team itself, but game shooter? Maybe Davison? It might be Davison right based now. on what he's done. You know, Trice can just be so up and down. He can get hot, but he can miss three in a row. Yeah. You know, he missed he missed three in the first handful of minutes of the game against McNeese State. Ford's probably there too somewhere. Yeah, I think um, so too. You know, it's easy to forget that when he was a redshirt freshman, what the numbers that he did were as good as any freshman yeah. Wisconsin's had. He was like forty plus percent from three point range. It's just that the injury last year just wrecked his season. He'll go. He goes on to ask, uh, "Doesn't Davison flat out play better when he gets beat up in a game? Needs to get hit more." Well, he got hit like six different times <laughs> against McNeese State. I mean, he does play a little bit better when he gets. Yeah, when people get into him. Yeah, he, I think that he, is. he's he's the most ultimate competitor. So, yeah, as you could say, and he he was banged up even before he stepped on the court because he had that wrap around his his left hand. Yeah, and, as a result of the flaw that he took against UW Lacrosse, that you know is still bothering him and i assume that's going to be on there for a while but didn't bother his shot last night and then uh did tyler wall cover the entire floor tonight the guy was everywhere making plays probably but i think you're going to see more of that i mean he took a charge too i think he did so so did dimitri again mm-hmm. i mean it, it's not just brad taking charges these days yeah i i like tyler's game i don't know how you you can't like it and and i think he's obviously only going to continue to get better um Cody asks, how concerned should we be about the bigs getting in foul trouble? Could this be an ongoing problem this season? Aleem, in particular, trends, tends to pick up fouls consistently. 
it's hard for me to say it's a season long issue because like we said on the previous episode, you're adding a huge piece to your team halfway through the season. And really most of the games are still left when, when Micah Potter comes back December 21st, unless two thirds, two thirds of the season. Yeah. And you're, your Big Ten season. Well, he's going to miss two Big Ten games. Yeah, most of your big, fine, 90% of your Big Ten season or whatever <laughs> whatever the number is. I don't know how many conference games they play these days, like 20 or 20. something. Uh, so yeah, 90%. Uh, yeah. But it's a concern now. And, you know, you start losing some games that you think you could win if Micah was in there. For example, the, the, the St. Mary's game, which maybe they win, maybe they don't, but they certainly have a better opportunity as Mike, Micah's there. And you're evaluating a resume down the road. Maybe it can cost you then. TM Fitzpatrick comes back with another. He's got another. I love all the questions. I'm I'm all about all the questions. He said, not sure who said it first, but Ben Bruss saying the Badgers need to shoot to score. Don't shoot because you're open. Was the truest thing I've ever heard. What do you think? I don't know if it's the truest thing I've ever heard, but it was a good point. You know, I shout out to Ben. I thought he did an excellent job on the color commentary, by the way, for the McNeese State game. But I, I thought that was. Uh, yeah, I heard that comment. I thought it makes sense. I mean, you've you've and he talked multiple times about the fact that you've got to shoot with confidence. And it was he was talking about Brevin too. That, as you said, you go to practice. Brevin's the best three point shooter in there, and something happens when the lights turn on on game day, and he's capable of it. He's got it in him. It's can you pull it out of him? And so I do think that there's something to be said for that. Like you know, if if you're shooting the ball and you're hoping it's going in, that's a problem. But if you've practiced enough and have the confidence enough to know it's going to go in. That makes a big difference. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. And did Ben, I didn't hear the telecast, but I heard some people mention that to me. He said they don't have a, a playmaker. Did he say that? Ooh, I don't recall that particular statement. Okay. But He's, like that, that didn't, didn't in have terms a of breaking, the, breaking someone down, yes. which, which is what we've discussed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if he said that. I mean, I, that's probably up for debate about whether you think Wisconsin has a, a playmaker in that fashion or not. I think we think it could be Kobe. Yeah. I think. I think Demetric Trice is capable of it just because of his handle, his right. ability to break someone down, especially coming off a screen. That's that's where I think he's his best is that's how he gets open. He comes off to the right, and that pull-up jumper is very good. If you can get that floater, if you if you yeah. can figure out a way to get to the basket and get the floater, that might be a little bit, a little bit better. But right now, we kind of talked about this last year. Like I, He worked his entire offseason between his, I guess, what he ended up redshirting his sophomore year working on getting to the right and that that right and it was like it felt like it was money every time he was putting it up last year. We kind of thought that we would work on the left side this off season. We haven't seen any of that so far. Um but I think he the the hit to the head <laughs> is is probably affecting him a little bit. I had to have six st- stitches to get that closed, but I still think Kobe would potentially be would be a good person to have the ball in his hands at the end of the shot clock. I don't know if that'll end up happening, but feel like he's got the best upside yeah i would agree and and because he's also his, got a mid-range game too he does and and his because of his body type i mean if it's a at the three spot it could be someone smaller and if it's someone bigger he, he can be quicker than them and so i think that's where he has the potential advantage and he's able to score in the post he's he's got the ability to score in a lot of different ways um we'll finish with this one uh bix asked and this is i think i'm going to ask you this question based on teams that you've covered which one was your favorite? I think I know which one is your favorite because it's probably his favorite as well, and that was the 2014-15 team. Oh, no question about it. That that, yeah. As long as I'm a sports writer, I'll probably look back and say that particular season and that particular team was the most fun I ever had because they were awesome. They knew it, but they were so much fun to be around because they were loose and free, and I think they loosened up 
Bo a little bit too, Bo Ryan. Like you, you could just tell he trusted those guys to go do something. And it was just such a ridiculous cast of characters. Frank Kaminsky was your national player of the year. I know I'm sure I told this story before, but I remember he was the preseason Big Ten player of the year. And we go to the the ballroom in Illinois and like Rosemont or whatever for the Big Ten media days. And everyone's sitting around this table and there's one chair reserved for him. And he like refuses to go sit down. He just like went into a corner and rested his head on a wall and was like, I talked to you guys enough. And it was just like, this is the national player of the year. He's just... So goofy and so fun, but so was Sam and so was Nigel. So I, remember, I loved it. I remember f- for some reason they had, it must have been during the wrestling tournament, uh, they had the all the mats up in the um, uh, Johnson, Nicholas Johnson Pavilion. They were just laying up there and he jumped up on top of one of the mats. This is Frank, just jumped up on top of the mats and laid down. And he's like, all right, so who wants to talk to me? And it did the interview with him laying on one of the mats like six feet up like hand up kind of he was uh he was ridiculous and um that whole final four experience being in Indy, you could hear them and i know everyone we've talked about this you could hear them coming before you saw them coming like to the to the press conferences you could hear the laughing you could hear everything it was it was a great combination of amazing talent amazing skill and amazing teamwork to go along with amazing personalities at on almost every single level. Even before the Final Four, in, in, in Omaha in the first two rounds, the famous stenographer situation, yeah. they that the three of them were sitting around, fooling around with this stenographer, right. uh, whatever you call it, machine, stenograph, I don't know what you yeah, call so it. No, but, uh, uh, yeah. And, and um, they just had like such a genuine interest in it. There's 48 hours before they were about to go play their second round game against Oregon, and this is what they're caring about. And yeah. even Nigel came out and sat with us. We yeah, were working but, on stories in the media room. Yeah, before because... Th- for whatever reason, their charter got delayed going out of Omaha back to Madison. So it was after they had beaten Oregon for this, you know, the second year in a row. And him and Mesh uh, came out and all right, just sat there and, and talked. Um, but yeah, that was the special team. In terms of single player, who was your favorite to cover? Ooh, wow. He says because he he says he his favorite player is Alondo Tucker. Well, I didn't start covering the team till 2011, so Orlando's time predates me. Um, I really enjoyed Sam and Frank just because for the purposes of my job, if you're a really great quote and you generally enjoy talking to the media, as much as Frank complained, once he started answering questions, he was fantastic. I think those two will go down as my favorites. Yeah. Nigel's up there, I think, as well, just because he's a one-line machine, you know, whatever it was. The thing about the the comment that stands out about Sam, and I don't know how it was received in the locker room, but after the Minnesota game came out, and they we were supposed to talk to them like I think it was at four, and they didn't come out of the film room until like five fifteen. Like it took forever for them to come out of the film room. When they came out, Sam called everybody on the floor on, on, or to the mat, called them to the mat, like called. He them. said they were soft. Yes, took them took them to task. They'd lost five of six, hadn't they? Yes, that was the first Final Four year. Yes, thirteen fourteen. They lost to Minnesota um, in a game that I, don't, I think they lost by double digits. Ended up losing that game by double digits. And was that at Minnesota? And yeah. that was when the gate like fell on the bus, or something? it was the, like the a gate, perfect no, metaphor for what was happening with the team. The gate uh, they were leaving, and the gate like it was a slide gate, so it would slide open. This was at the airport. It would slide open and then slide close. When they were going through, it closed and it slammed right into the side of the bus and put like a hole in the bus. Perfect metaphor. Um, they rallied. They did. They they did, and they had they been able to get past Kentucky, I think they win the national championship that year. I don't. And then maybe fourteen fifteen doesn't happen because 
Frank maybe leaves instead of coming back for for his senior year. Who knows what? I mean, I, I Sam probably would have been back no matter what, but you never know. Speaking of people that just did not, Ben Bruss talking about guys shooting with confidence. He thought every single shot that he took was going in. Ben, right? yes, yes. I mean that that was a guy that had no problem with confidence whatsoever. Every shot that he put up, he thought was going in. He didn't care. He was going to keep shooting and keep shooting and keep shooting. I mean, that confidence to me is among the most important things, obviously, for a shooter. Corner backs and uh, three-point shooters, just keep shooting. I remember talking to Ben about how he became such a good three-point shooter in his house in, like, the Illinois suburbs or whatever. Yes. They had, uh, like, a sidewalk leading from the driveway, and because he had older brothers who were bigger than him, he said they called it, like, the one square of relief rule. So, like, before you had to enter the actual driveway – you could stand out there and he would just like bury threes all day. So it started at a very early age. And like you, it's funny because you would look at him and you'd think he's going to make, you know, seven three pointers today. And, and he would do it. He was just so good from the outside. He was lethal and he was fun to watch and cover. Yeah. So Wisconsin Marquette on Sunday, who you got? I will pick Marquette and I will eat my words if I am wrong <laughs> when we record next week. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.